The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. As we come to our text this morning, before we pray, I just want to set us up because we've been in the upper room discourse. And you know when Jesus in the synoptic gospels is talking to his disciples, he's trying to comfort and console them. Primarily because he's letting them know, I will no longer be with you. For them, if you were to look at their faith, the disciples' faith, a lot of times as readers, we can just assume that they really believed that Jesus was the Son of God. Maybe the disciples were fascinated and slightly believed some things, but at the same time had a level of doubt, skepticism, and asked questions as to, is he really from God? And so when we see this upper room discourse and when Jesus is talking and he pretty much gives this comforting word that I've overcome the world, take heart. Because because you are with and in me and I in you, you have peace. Now, we just sang a song, hallelujah, you've won the victory We've sung that over and over again, and that's something that we ought to really take to heart this moment. Why? Because it was Amy Carmichael who says there's only one one way of victory over bitterness and rage that comes naturally to us. And you can fill that in with anything else. There's there's only one way to victory over the, the grief, over the sorrow, over the troubles, over every single thing in life. There's there's only one way that comes naturally to us to will what God wills brings peace. It's the peace of God. And she also says, she's this missionary, and uh, she was a missionary in India. She also says, we will, we will have eternity to celebrate the victories, but only a few hours before sunset to win them. He's already won the victory. Our job is to be ambassadors to glorify him. We're the ones to, to wave the banner. We're the ones to let, a, let them, everybody know, we know something that you might not know. At the end of the day, when, when, when death comes, when you feel as if hardship comes, when you feel as if there is no other way, God has given you the victory. Uh, many of us can remember when the civil rights movement was going on, and there was a song that they would always sing, beloved. And, and what, what was that song? That we shall, we shall. Beloved, it's a promise that we Not just shall, will, but it's already happened. So many things in life we we look forward to. But this hope, this peace, this victory causes us to not just look forward to it, but know that we actually have it. Nobody has ever played the game knowing that you got the victory. Nobody's ever went into a situation that there was doubtful knowing that you automatically won. Nobody went into your tests or exams, college students, high school, grade school. You didn't go in the classroom. The teacher said, don't worry, go ahead and take your test. I don't care what you do on the test. You can write boo-boo the fool on that. You won already. The reality is, beloved, Jesus teaches us something through the text, through this upper room discourse, and that it is Jesus came to fulfill his promise. 
so that we will live victoriously. Some of y'all are like, how do I live victoriously? That's what I want to unpack and unfold this morning because, beloved, I, I, I just want to let you know, I know that many of us, like the, the disciples, we struggle to believe in Jesus. There are times when we feel like doubt really takes over and crowds out everything that we tend to try to hold on to. And it is the very thing that we feel as if, you know what, I don't know if God is really call, really hearing me or listening to anything that I have to say because the same pain that I feel is plaguing me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, can I be honest? Many, many of y'all know my testimony that, that I didn't grow up knowing the Lord. My mother really, really, she when she wanted to start going to church, that was a time where I really didn't understand what it meant to walk with Jesus. But I was reflecting on her life because the 21st was the de the death, her death anniversary. Reflecting on what she did for and to me and my family. And beloved, it, it, it hurts and grieves every milestone that I have in life. Every, every, every congratulations, every time that there's something else that happens, every time my children goes older, I, I realize they don't know their grandmother. They don't have those moments. And, and it's easy for the devil to do something. Why would God keep you ha with having so much pain? Why would God take a woman that's so important to you in your life? Why, why, why would these things happen? So many questions flood us in moments of doubt, in moments of sorrow, in moments of grief. You can say whatever it is. But beloved, I, I want to encourage you this morning to know that these things do happen and sometimes they can be the dominant voice that drives our thoughts, drives our emotions. But when God is not the dominant factor in your life, it's hard to live victoriously. He is nothing but a distant reality that cannot be obtained. He seems absolutely untainable and that notion in which we can have victory seems as if we might as well give in to defeat. Defeat means that we no longer trust in God. We no longer believe that he will say and do and fulfill what he said that he will do. But yet what we will give into is that I can do me theology, meaning that I'm going to just live my own way and think how I want to think and do whatever I want to do. Beloved, I'm going to tell you right now, if I didn't trust Jesus, I'd have killed somebody right before, before I was the age of 21. I'm going to tell you that right now. Because I'm not perfect. There is nothing but Jesus that caused me to not want to take the life of somebody else. It's nothing but Jesus that causes me not to want to act a fool towards somebody else. I would have too much trust in Michael Davis to realize that I am nothing but a feeble and weak human without Jesus. So, beloved, this, this upper room discourse is, is really important because, again, the big idea this morning is that Jesus came to fulfill his promise. Not that we will live in defeat, but we will live victoriously. Look at the person next to you say victoriously. And the way we will do that is that Jesus will call, he has come to fulfill this so that we will live victorious and this is how. So we will have direct access to God the Father, that we will know what we know, we will know why we believe. I went to seminary not because I thought I was going to be a pastor. I went to seminary so I can know what I need to know. 
Because where I'm from, St. Louis, on Kings Highway and Del Mar, Kings Highway, Natural Bridge, that there's some, there you go, St. Louis in the house. Where I'm from, there's some brothers that have been standing on the corner in some nice suits, bow tie, bean pies, final calls. And they tell me my identity was in the reality of if I believe or, or, or where I had come from and, and that my blackness meant th- this ethnocentric reality. And, and that, that's what, that was attractive to me because I seen something that said that had dignity, worth, and value. So I needed to go to seminary to, to know what I need to know. And then the, the last point is, is that God gives us this peace that surpasses all understanding. He gives us this peace that surpasses all understanding. Let us pray before we dive directly into his word. Father, we love you and we thank you. I pray, God, that in this moment of propping up where we will be going, that people will be eager eager to hear your word, not Michael Davis. And God, I pray that you begin to unfold exactly what need the, the ears that are itching that they need to hear, the hearts that need comforting that they need to hear. God, I pray that you help me in this moment to hide beneath your cross, not make much of myself, but make much of who you are. For we love you, Lord, and we thank you for all that you do. And we ask God that you continue to be with us in this moment. It's in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said together. So God, he gives us direct access to God. Now, some, I'm glad that the turnover in our church is so rapid. I can use illustrations that some of y'all heard before, but some of y'all never heard before. Thank you. Hallelujah. So there was this, when you think about access granted, it was one of the most, the most phenomenal times in my life was when my pastor, Bishop Clifford L. Frazier, said, son, I want you to come with me. I said, where are we going? He said, we're going to Los Angeles. I want you to be my armor bearer. Some of y'all don't know what an armor bearer is. That's okay. Okay, I mean, I, I, I was holding bags, I was helping out, I, I was doing all of the grunt work at the time, and that's fine, because I was sitting there taking in all of the wisdom and the knowledge, and so I went to Los Angeles, California, never been to Los Angeles, California, a day of my life, sunshine, blue skies, you know, please go away, right, but here's the thing, we went to a church, and the pastor of that church said, Pastor, Bishop, thank you for coming, we want to bless you, oh, he said, he said, he said we're we going to bless you, we're going to take you to the BET Gala. I'm not talking about bet. Black entertainment television. That's what it is. But, but so we were excited. We think I'm in my deacon clothes, okay? I didn't, I didn't, have, I didn't bring any of my, my BET clothes, okay? Because I thought I was just going to be in church. So I'm in my deacon clothes, and we go to the BET Awards, not the gala. We go to the awards. And then we didn't just go to the awards. I had all access granted backstage patches. I was sitting on a crate. The chef went to his church, and we were eating in the back. Okay? I'm in the backstage. LeBron James walked past me. I walk on the stage. I'm following my pastor at the time. And then next thing you know, there's Beyonce on the stage. Big her Beyonce. Some of y'all don't remember Big her Beyonce. That's a uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Okay? She, she was right there on the stage. Her bodyguard, sir, you can't be on the stage, right? I'm standing next to Janet Jackson, Jamar, Jermaine Dupree, Chris. I mean, I'm in the house, y'all. I'm in the house. Walk past Jamie Foxx, dap him up, kept walking. I just, I was just, I did nobody knew who I was. Neil, I'm in the green room eating grapes and fruit. Neo dapped me up like we was like he knew me from back in the day. I, I mean, I'm in my deacon clothes too. So I definitely look out of place. But the reality is because I had something, nobody even questioned it. 
and it gave me access to places that I, that I wouldn't normally have access to, and people that I wouldn't necessarily be able to see on a regular basis. Beloved, let me tell you something. Jesus gives you that. If you ask yourself the question, then how do we have that? It is through Jesus and him alone. It is what Jesus does, which he then changes the attitude of your heart through love, obedience, and faith so that you will know the God that you ought to serve. Let me unpack that just a little bit more because the text says that when Jesus comes, when he's sitting at the table talking to them in this upper room discourse, he says, I will no longer speak in figuratives, figuratives of speech. Essentially, he said, I will no longer speak in parables. I will no longer speak in stories and illustrations that are, will confound your mind. And, and this is true when you remember in John time and time again where you can go, just a couple references, John 9, 34 through 39 through 40, where, the, where Jesus had spoke and he said that you will no longer be blind. And the Pharisees then said, well, we heard these things. Are we also blind? They, they were confused and confounded. And even when John 10, 6, where he's teaching about the good shepherd and, and it says, uh, it was written, the figures of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So it can sound like Jesus might have been a madman. Remember C.S. Lewis said either he was a lunatic or a liar. Okay, you, you, you understand that this is why he said those things because Jesus might not have been the most, uh, Jesus to them might not have been as coherent as we see them as readers as opposed to listeners. That's very important because even in John 16, 12, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So then what does it mean when Jesus gives us access to God the Father? What it means then is that what Jesus says is that just like I had to pray, remember when Jesus was raising Lazarus out of the tomb? Remember the prayer he said right before that? So Jesus says, I'm going to speak plainly with confidence and boldness to you so you can know the Father. But not only that, you can ask through my name. And I don't have to pray on your behalf. Because when he was right there, when Martha and the Jews were standing right before the tomb and he told Lazarus to come out, he said, God, I know, Father, I know you always hear me, but I'm not praying for, for me. I, I'm praying for those around me that they may believe. Because they, they couldn't believe what, what, what Jesus was saying. But Jesus is saying, he will no longer need to do that. You can pray in the name of Jesus and have access to God the Father. Commune with him. Be united with him in ways that you have never been before. So what, 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 what is that? how does that play out when I'm in the classroom? I'm going to tell you how that play out when I'm in the classroom. Soon as that bad kid, instead of slapping him, Instead of slapping them, amen, be sanctified. Be ye sanctified. But what you do is you call on God to give you wisdom, knowledge, understanding. When you are in the doctor's office and you're confused as to what the diagnosis might be and you don't know what the doctor will say or you're confused and, and you may be downcast, what all you have to do in living a victorious life is call on the name of Jesus and the father will incline his ear to you and hear all that you have to say. Does it change your circumstance? I'm here as a witness to say it does not necessarily change your circumstance, but it changes your countenance. 
So when I'm, I, I'm sad and, and when my sister's FaceTiming me and they at my mother's gravesite, it don't raise her from the dead. I was in the hospital room looking through the scriptures, believing that God will do something that no other person believed that he can do was resuscitate my mother, bring her back and work things out in the moment. I could have read as many scriptures as possible, but she's still dead. But what does it do? It changes my countenance. So then I said, God, I'm hurting today. I, I trust in you. Can you give me your peace that helps me to continue to make it through the day? Can I look at my kids and my babies and say, I'm thankful for them and how my mother instilled some things in me. And you utilize her to get me to this point in life. And I'm not some fool just out, out in the streets doing whatever I want to do. But Lord, I know you because of her. Thank you. Because I, I, wouldn't know her, I wouldn't know you if it was not for the woman that you put in my life. God, thank you for allowing the time that my wife could have met my mother. I, I, thank you, Jesus. It just changes my countenance to gratitude, to peace, to love, and joy. There's some things in life, beloved, when you know that the baby has come out and they tell you that they have a certain disease or they have a certain dysfunction or before they even know it, when they're doing the ultrasound, you see what the doctor is saying, the bad news about your child that is in the womb. I'm telling you, I know it does not feel good, but if you trust in God, you can at least have something that will not change. You can at least have something that is steadfast, rooted, and you can hold on to him and his unchanging hand. But you also need a, a change in the attitude of your heart. It's with love. It's, it's, with, it's with obedience. It's, it's with faith. God, it is love for Christ. Obedience to Christ and faith in Christ. See, love, you remember when Peter in chapter 21 of John, he says this. He, Jesus asked him, he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, I love you. You know I love you. Then feed my sheep. He asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you, you know I love you. Then tend to my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, he asked him three times. Remember, Peter denied him how many times? Three times. Beloved, the reality is, Peter, in his countenance, though that he thought he had a strength to love God, he needed the Spirit, he needed the strength of God even to love God. But not only that, what's important is that Jesus says, if you love me, then feed my sheep. I believe a key way in which our love for Christ is represented in the flourishing of our church and the flourishing of our lives to live victoriously is the way we love one another. It's Augustine, who uh, the old church father, who says that his interpretive frame in terms of the entire biblical story is that it should lead us back to the great commandment. A lot of us are big when it comes out the great commission, but we cannot have the great commission without also having the great commandment. Beloved, that, that's the way in which we are representatives of who God is. He says that if you have love for one another, what? People will know that you are my. The way that we care for each other, I say this all the time, is not just merely how we serve out there. It's how we care for the person you're sitting next to. I'm not talking about your spouse or your children. I'm talking about the spiritual connectivity that we have and legacy that we have with one another. That's why when we come to doing multi-ethnic church, I ain't got no problem loving brothers and sisters that are not like me. 
Because it's not, they, they are God's children. They are not just some other people. You are God's people. I, my job as a pastor is to steward the way that I love you and care for you and be able to be in relationship with you. The reason that we love one another is not because we're trying to be fake or we're just trying to do the friend and associate thing. It is because we have been profoundly impacted by the love of God. Our love for Christ ought to be the same way in which we love one another, reflective of that. Then, you know, this obedience to Christ, this is 1 Peter 3, 16. The reason I'm giving you the, the text is so you can know and you can go read for yourselves if you'd like to take notes. But when Peter talks about the obedience to Christ, he talks about how keeping a clear conscience. There are things that you do in secret that nobody else knows. But, when some, but if it's brought to light, you are then shamed. First of all, what the gospel does is it does not put you to shame. Your obedience to Christ is not merely moral perfectionism. It's the way in which you in your mind and in your heart keep your mind clear and conscious by doing what? Seeking forgiveness, seeking repentance, continuously living that out. Just for language purposes. So when Jesus says in this Bible, if you love me, then you love the Father. The Father loves you. And if you believe in me that I've come from the Father, then, then essentially you, you have eternal life. Those are perfect tense, meaning being continuous. This is the way we live it out. That's why we do it through love, obedience, and the last thing is faith. Our faith in Christ is not something that is mysterious or superstitious, but it is something that's actually, guess what? It has historical and empirical evidence. It is real. The Gospels are not written because they thought they knew Jesus or they heard about Jesus. These are eyewitnesses' accounts of the fact that they know who and what he has done. Therefore, beloved, our hope is not a hope that will put us to shame. Our faith is not a faith that will put us to shame, but it has substance on what it is. Therefore, when I see the brother handing out the final call, may I, I might take the final call and see him, Louis Farrakhan, talk about UFOs and stuff like that. But just because I just, I like to entertain goofy stuff. Like, but, 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 but at the same time, I know when I'm reading these things, some of this does not carry the weight and substance in which God's word carry the same thing. God's word is the very substance that gives us the ability to have this faith. This is what he says. Will you hold, keep my commandments? John 14, 21 to 33. Anyone that keeps my commandments is of me. We, we've been reading this this entire time, and this, they have been experiencing this this entire time. Therefore, what does it mean, beloved, that our faith should be unshakable, that our love for God should be unwavering, and that our obedience in him should be rooted in the fact of what he has done for us? Therefore, when we ask the question then on the second point, why is it then we should believe that, he, that Jesus has come and, 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 and we, we believe that, that he, we, so, okay, we have his attitude and we have access granted to the Father, but why do we believe? Remember, the disciples say, ah, oh, now we get it. You're no longer speaking in figures, figures of speech. You're never speaking in parables, but you're plainly speaking. It's confident. We, you, you're telling us with confidence and boldness as to what you're saying. So this is why we believe that you came through the Father. And Jesus says, oh, you believe now, do you? This is Jesus' response. But you have to ask the question, what does it mean to have an unwavering faith? 
What does it mean to be in situations to where your faith does not be, is tossed to and fro, as the Bible, as the Bible says, by every wind of doctrine? You can could, you could put about anything that comes your way. What roots us and grounds us in that? It's, it's important to know that, that the very thing that, that causes us to know that we, what we are rooted in and what we are grounded in is, is this idea is that we know, first of all, that we're not strong enough. It's the idea to realize we are not strong enough to believe hard enough. Have you ever been in a situation where you just try to believe hard enough? Just if I just muster myself to believe that God will do this, if I just will myself to believe God, that's what's wrong with the prosperity gospel. That's what's wrong with listening to some things that says, well, if you just do X, then, then Y will happen. No, that's not what the gospel is. That's not what faith is, beloved. If you don't know, preachers always steal illustrations from other preachers, okay? I'm going to just say that flat out. Because I'm going to use one that you probably may have heard from another preacher before. Okay? But I've seen somebody else use it. And so then, no, I'm joking. All we do is steal from each other. Okay? That's a secret. Don't tell nobody I told you that. Richard steals all of my illustrations. So does Sergio Artez. I'm their ghostwriter. But Tony Evans gave a great analogy one time. And I don't, I don't have a $100 bill, but he had a $100 bill. And I wasn't going to withdraw it from the bank and take a $100 bill and do what he did to it because I'm too poor. Okay. So I'm going to just use this as an illustration. What he did was he held a $100 bill in front of his congregation and he took that $100 bill and he said, what if I just threw it to the ground and I stumped it? All right. And I began to rub all on the people in the audience like, Ooh, oh my goodness, because somebody probably had a, a utility bill to pay with that $100. And then he said, he said, what if I took the $100 bill and I crumbled it and I just threw it to the ground and, and, and pounced on it and et cetera. And he, he took the $100 bill. He did just that. He said, all right, does it lose its value? They said, no, nah, it don't lose its value. He said, what if I took it and I ripped it up? Right? He ripped his $100 bill and I'm like, oh God, I hope it's, I hope it's Monopoly money. He, he, he ripped the $100 bill and, and he began, he said, did it lose its value? Because I can just tape it back up. The money never left, lost its value. No matter what it had been through, it didn't lose its value. He could take that hundred and give it to the bank and they will take that money because it's real and authentic. When our faith is unwavering and we know why we believe what we believe, beloved, it is then that same picture that no matter what your faith has been through, no matter how you've been torn and ripped and how you've been crying, we see our brother and sister, Alex and Anna, we're living it with them right now, seeing through Silas, all of their life is going through. Many of you have been through things. It does not take away when you continue to hold on to God that your faith will be torn apart, that your life will be torn apart. God is holding on to you. If you could just let me preach for one minute. Because the reality is, I'm not telling you something that I don't know. And I don't believe that Jesus is a magician. 
I don't believe that, that he's a mind reader. I don't, I don't believe that Jesus is just some supernatural, superstitious reality. I think, I believe that the Bible says he is the son of God and he walked among people as a real human, therefore making him historical and also making him spiritual in his divinity, therefore also allowing us to have a mature faith. But beloved, what did the disciples show us? That their immaturity of their faith was connected to the fact of what they really believed in. If they really had faith because they asked the question or they, they really said, oh, now we see. After Jesus had been showing himself the entire time. Because remember, people said that, they, that Jesus was Elijah, he was a prophet, that he was all of these different things. But beloved, what I want to say to you is that no matter where your faith is, whether it's weak or strong, as long as it's in Jesus, it's good enough. That, that's the point. That's why you need to know why you need to know what you know. Because as long as God is holding on to you, your proclamation of who he is is absolutely clear. Remember Nicodemus coming to him and saying, I know you're a teacher sent from God, but, but can you tell me how this reborn thing, rebirth thing happens? And then what does Jesus say? He says, I'm the bread of life. I've come from heaven. And people were so appalled. They didn't believe they wanted to arrest him. Beloved, when I'm telling you right now, folks think we are crazy from believing in Jesus. They think we're crazy. They think we've lost our minds. Any of y'all seen Jesus? Because I'm sure I have not seen him yet. I'm looking for him. I'm looking toward seeing him. But what I'm confident is, is that his word has not changed and his gospel is the same. And it gives me the boldness and a crystal clear picture as to who he is. And my proclamation of where he has come from is not arrested by what people say. It's about what his word says. Last thing is, is that this, Jesus, this fulfillment we have in Jesus gives us peace. Horatio Sapford had this song, It Is Well, with my song. I don't know if you ever know the backstory as to It Is Well. But I felt as if to articulate the next couple verses, 32 and 33, it's, it's perfect to, to hear what Jesus is saying, I mean, what this song is saying and, and the story behind it. He was a businessman from Chicago, and he and his, his wife and their four daughters went on a ship to go to Europe. He had to hang back, and the ship crashed into another ship in the middle of the ocean. Some had documented that she grabbed her daughters, held them by their hands, and said, we will endure this moment as long as God will, so wills it. Boat falls apart. Ship crashes and sinks. She blacks out, holds on to her daughter, lets her go. She could not find her, waking up, having been rescued by the other ship that they had ran into. The report was that she had lost all four, four of her daughters. Horatio was devastated when he had received the news. Then finding his wife after she had reached out to him, he jumps on the ship. Let's, that to show you how much faith is. He jumps on another boat to get to his family, his wife. And it was said by his, his daughter later that as he was on that ship, that is where he penned the song, It Is Well With My Soul. When he says, when peace like a river attendeth my way. I'm imagining him going through the ocean. And, and, and when he's going through, this peace may be overwhelming to him. But this next line, when sorrow like sea billows roll. Have you ever been on a cruise? Some of y'all been on cruises and you've been relaxing on cruises and you see how strong and mighty the ocean is. 
and it's crashing as the, as the oh, ship is going through it. But then you also see how powerful it is through hurricanes and what it can do through storms. And as he's looking at it, they point and said, this is where your daughters died and drowned. So then when he says, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, my God, it is well with my soul. Beloved, that is what we ought to know and understand when Jesus talks about this peace. Because the text says he tells them they will be scattered. You can, go to Mark, you can go to Matthew and Mark and look at his report. He tells them at the upper room discourse, you will fall away. Have you ever struggled to the point your peace was disrupted that you wanted to fall away from Jesus? I want to give up on church. This church don't have what, what I think it needs to have. This, the people have treated me treated me a particular I, I just don't want to have anything to do with the people of God anymore I don't want to have anything to do with God because of what I see in circumstances I, I, can I tell you something the world is always going to be chaotic people will always be imperfect but God will never change therefore the promise of peace is not for the disciples to be completely faithful in a moment which in which they were already going to deny him. But it was for them to remember. He says that you have peace in me. So think about Peter denying Jesus and the other disciples. They had to go home feeling shameful and guilty. But they also should have remembered the words from the upper room discourse. That it is not what you have done. But it's what I have given you. And it is a peace that holds you up. It is a peace that gives you strength. It is a peace that causes you to know that this love from God the Father is one that will never fail, but will always overcome. And so he says, trouble will come, beloved. So it gives us the ability to endure. That is how we live victoriously. Access to God. Know why we believe what we believe. And a peace that will endure any circumstance and situation. I got to go ahead and take my seat. Because I know I preach too long. I ain't preached in a while. And so that's what happens sometimes. Blame it on Richard. But I want you to know something. And I'm serious as a heart attack. I'm serious as a heart attack. When Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. It reminds me of the table that we're going to partake of this morning. Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Can I tell you something? When we come to this table, just like he has come to us, we need to come boldly. We need to know why we know what we know and know that God, that this is access to God through the name of Jesus. And whatever is stirring in your heart, whether it be confusion, whether it be heartbreak, whether, whatever, it, whatever it is, marriage is hard right now. Life is difficult. I don't know what you are dealing with. You are doubting your faith. Can I tell you something? That God is not insecure in any of those. So you can always go to him, even in moments like these knowing that he will have an answer for anything that you bring to him. Father, we love you. We thank you. Because it is your peace and your grace, your mercy.
that never ceases. It's brand new every day, Father. And it causes us, Lord, to know that what we continuously go through and see, that life and victory does not look like us being on top every time, but it looks like us trusting in you, having faith in you, knowing, God, that you are the one that is giving your life to be broken and beaten, battered, so that we have peace everlasting. And so I pray that you guard our hearts and our minds as we come to your table and understand that your body was broken and your blood was shed so that we may have life everlasting victoriously. For we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ our Lord. All God's people say, amen. You put your hands for Jesus, for worshiping him and thankful for what he has done. You stand to your feet knowing that you leave this place proclaiming what you have witnessed, and that is the power of Jesus. Live victoriously, beloved, knowing that you have a security in him. Receive the benediction now. May the peace that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts now and forevermore. All God's people said together, amen. Go in peace.